0: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Veterinary Advice Animal News and Views, the show for pets and the people who love them, sponsored by WebDVM, typed into your browser as web-dvm.net. That is where we run our blog and also have a wealth of information, articles, even a symptom checker, so you can see what may be wrong with your pet and gather information. Please visit there when you get a chance. Welcome to the program tonight. We have a very important episode. We are talking about a canine influenza outbreak that is plowing through the Midwest currently, and there are concerns that it may be showing up elsewhere, such as here, potentially, in my lovely state of Florida. So, canine influenza, we really need to educate ourselves about this because There is a parainfluenza virus that is routinely vaccinated for. It's part of most core vaccine protocols. It is one of the causative agents of kennel cough in dogs. Kennel cough is an upper respiratory infection, typically. It can be either parainfluenza virus, it could be adenovirus type 2, or it can be Bordetella bronchoseptica, which is a bacteria. So sometimes it's combinations. You can have Bordetella secondarily to an initial parainfluenza or adenovirus infection, what have you. And we just want to be clear that kennel cough and canine influenza are very vastly different situations. They're different clinical syndromes. They're different severities. Kennel cough tends to be self-limiting, quite treatable, not as much of a concern as canine influenza, which has a fairly high morbidity rate. Low mortality rate overall, but it's not uncommon to lead to secondary pneumonia, which can be quite intensive and difficult to clear. <clears throat> so, we th- that's the first thing we got to talk about here is the distinction. Canine influenza is very different. Now, we haven't had an outbreak of this in some time. The last known outbreak that I remember was around 2008, 2007. It actually did affect my state of Florida and several other states, and it started with greyhounds, so it it seemed to emanate from the greyhound racetracks and make its way outward to the general dog population, but it seemed that at that time, greyhounds were the most at risk given their tendency to travel from one track to another, be housed in the same conditions, and it was really thought of. You know, namely or primarily being a, gra- a greyhound problem, whereas what we're seeing in the Midwest seems to be a mutated horse influenza. So it, when when viruses mutate, they can change their virulence, they can change their severities, they can change the, they can jump species. In this case, from horse to canines. Now there appears to be very very little risk or potentially no risk for it to mutate and jump to people. So I don't want to let let anybody assume that that's going to happen, but let's talk about this. So here's how it started. In, in the greater Chicago area, there were cases of quote-unquote kennel cough that seemed particularly bad, and these dogs, many of them needed to seek treatment, some of them needed oxygen therapy and fluid therapy, intravenous antibiotics because of secondary pneumonia, and that's not typical of kennel cough. Uh, Kettle cough can lead to pneumonia, but typically it's going to be in the very old or the very young. So to see that occur in healthy adult dogs is very strange. So isolates were taken, blood samples, nasal swabs, and various testing methods were used to confirm that, no, indeed, this is a canine influenza. And the doctors in that area decided to get proactive about a vaccination program. Currently, there are two companies that make a canine influenza vaccine, although given the mutative properties of influenza, there's even a question as to how effective that vaccine is going to be against this particular strain. We just really don't know the answer to that, to be quite honest with you. So I was on a conference in San Antonio, and uh, I I was meeting with a group of veterinary colleagues. We get together twice a year to discuss best practices. And we're we're in what's called a veterinary management group, and one of my colleagues uh, has a practice in Chicago, West West uh, West Loop Veterinary Care. Excellent doctor. His name is Dr. Dave Gonski, and he was really filling me in on, you know, this 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 troubling outbreak and how he's dealing with it. And basically, if the patients were seen within the last year, he's basically sent an email blast out to his clients, and I guess got the word out. I'm not sure if it was Facebook or or via direct call or if it was just email. I'm not sure. But he got the word out to his clients basically, hey, we're going to be vaccinating for this. It is confirmed. It is a confirmed outbreak. And uh, if you've been seen within the last year, just come in for the vaccine. Give the vaccine. It has to be boosted within two to four weeks of the initial. So you give the first vaccine and you booster it within two to four weeks. And so that's how he's dealing with it. Well, I get back to... Florida after that conference. And he said, you know, keep an eye out for this because with the Easter holiday coming up, this was before Easter, a lot of families travel. A lot of people come down to Florida, come down to see grandma, grandpa, what have you, do a little Disney. They might bring their little dog with them, one that can travel on the airplane. And next thing you know, lo and behold, if enough points of contact occur, we could be looking at you know, a potential outbreak, not just here in Florida, but just about anywhere that would be at a, a popular travel destination during the holidays. So I get back from that conference, and lo and behold, I get a, a call from one of the local rescue groups I work with, particularly concerned because she had pulled a couple of dogs out of the shelter that had quote-unquote kennel cough that had progressed to pneumonia. And I thought to myself, that's not supposed to happen. And these weren't particularly at-risk dogs for that. They weren't little tiny puppies with juvenile immune systems. They weren't geriatric dogs with you know, severely aged immune systems. These were you know, otherwise healthy adult dogs. So my radar went up. Now, we still do not have a confirmed case yet, but I became quite concerned as soon as I learned of this. And this is how it started in the Midwest. Again, these cases of kennel cough that just seemed to get out of hand. So we're getting anecdotal reports, but one of the one of the things that's kind of a, a pain in the neck about this virus is that it's not the easiest thing to diagnose and at first it does look just like kennel cough you know and that's that's something that you know it, it can really go under the radar and you know we're not really aware because we haven't tested for it and appropriate more aggressive measures aren't being taken we don't want that to happen so there's three there's there, there's two to three main ways of testing for this thing the first method is called PCR testing where uh, polymerase polymer pardon me polymerase chain reaction testing uh, really involves amplifying small samples of DNA in this case it would be viral DNA to make them more detectable uh, and you, you would need a fresh nasal swab of secretions to do this, but the timing is crucial because a sample generally to get a representative sample that's going to amplify enough DNA to be detected, it's gonna be, you're going to need that about three to four days after the onset of symptoms. And so because timing is difficult, this really isn't the preferred method. So then there's serology. So in this case, serology means we're taking a blood sample and we're testing for antibodies. We're looking for antibodies against the canine influenza virus. So what we do is we take a a blood sample, we check for antibodies, and we look at the antibody level. And then we compare that to a second sample taken later on, and generally that's going to be drawn about a week later. I'm sorry, about two weeks later and if we have a fourfold increase in the antibody level that means a true infection is happening well <laughs> that's all good and dandy and it confirms a case but by then the dog is either violently ill or has recovered so you know there there is definitely benefit to testing so we can prove or disprove whether or not there's an outbreak but at the same token the timing is difficult with PCR and serology it's too late by the time you find out from a clinical perspective so there's another test kit that's available that's used commonly for, to test for flu virus at doctor's office and this is these are called ELISA tests and these kits will detect canine influenza virus believe it or not in in a canine nasal swab the 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 drawback to this method is that false negatives can be a problem so you know we may get a negative where you know the the dog is truly sick with influenza or, but but the one good thing is that if we, a positive result can be very reliable and we can get it spot on, so there are some veterinary offices that are using these kits for the coughing canine patients, especially in up in the Midwest area where this is going on right now. So, um, you know, testing is difficult. So, you know, the bottom line is that here's here's my current policy. My policy is this. We have we don't have a confirmed outbreak just because we've had a, f- a few bad bouts of kennel cough that has pro- that have progressed to pneumonia does not it's, it's hardly confirmation of disease but I am getting proactive with an uh, immunization program for at risk patients and by at at risk patients I'm referring to patients that are boarded with some degree of frequency I'm referring to patients that get groomed regularly grooming areas are. You know, those are gathering places where there's going to be multiple canines in a single location, where you know it's going to be an area that's ripe for spread of disease. Bark parks, doggy daycare, anything like that. Any scenarios where the dog is frequently in contact with other dogs, I would immunize, no matter where you live. Um, and certainly here in Florida, I'm only about 45 minutes from Orlando. And Orlando is a very popular travel destination, as is nearby Cocoa Beach, which is just over the causeway uh, from where I live. So, you know, popular travel destinations, I would absolutely, you know, consider having uh, your your dog uh, immunized. The immunization is very safe, and it's not something that I would consider as an ongoing immunization program. I'm doing it in the here and now until this outbreak runs its course. And the last time this happened, the outbreak took about 8 to 12 months before it finally ran its course, made its way through the various areas and fizzled out. And I haven't vaccinated for canine influenza ever since. But my position is, you know what? Right now I'm going to until we stop hearing about cases popping up anywhere. So the, that's that's my policy and, and and I would strongly advise anybody with High risk patients, as you know, the the risk factors that I discussed, as well as popular travel destinations, definitely haven't been immunized. Now, as far as confirmed outbreaks, if you get a confirmed outbreak, so like let's say in Florida, these isolated cases where I'm at right now that haven't been proven, let's say we do get an isolate, we prove that it is canine influenza. We have a confirmed outbreak. In that case, I'm not just immunizing at-risk patients, meaning the high-risk patients. I'm going to recommend immunizing everybody for it because all it takes is an infected dog to sniff a fire hydrant. The next dog comes along, sniffs the fire hydrant. Boom, you have an infection. So once there's a confirmed outbreak, I'm not just concerned with high-risk dogs. I'm concerned with every dog. So I would, you know... mull that over and consider that as well. The best thing you could do is get in contact with your local veterinarian who is, uh, have a good functioning active relationship with a veterinary clinic where your dog is seen at least once a year. I'm hoping to hear that. <laughs> but um, give them a call and just ask them what their position is on this canine influenza situation and will They be communicating directly to their clientele in the event of a concerning outbreak. Or perhaps, like we have here in Florida, a scenario where there is cause for concern but not a confirmed outbreak. Should I vaccinate my dog? You know, and that's something you should really look into because you don't want to find yourself unprepared with a very sick dog, not only the dealing with the danger of a virus that can lead to pneumonia. Also dealing with the expense of it can get quite costly because influenza patients have to be hospitalized in isolation. Not everybody has an isolation facility. I'm an AHA accredited hospital. My hospital is accredited by the Animal American Animal Hospital Association. I don't have isolation. I don't have the facility for it. So if I were to take in a canine influenza case, I'd have to refer to the local emergency clinic, and 24-hour you know, critical care in isolation in a facility with negative pressure and all the things that you need to ensure that that sickness is not able to spread to other patients that are visiting that hospital, that can get very costly very quickly. So from a safety perspective, from a cost perspective, let's be proactive and at least start information gathering. I did a blog post on this as well, so if you want to visit web-dvm.net, you know, you can read a little. Uh, the more information that we disseminate, the better we all are, and, um, and that's really the canine influenza story. So keep on the eye, or keep on keep on the lookout for it. Don't necessarily panic about it. If you're If you're in the Midwest, I'd be, you know, pretty concerned. I'd definitely be vaccinating, and just have a good conversation and be in touch with your local veterinarian. That's my show for this evening. Thank you very much for taking the time to listen, as always, caring about what I have to say. Thank you, and have a good night. When you save on auto insurance for driving safe with USAA SafePilot, you'll feel like a big deal, even in a traffic jam. Save up to 30% with USAA SafePilot. Restrictions apply.